Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sama. I have June Rodil and Felipe Riccio from Goodnight Hospitality coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's an expert on food, wine, and good times. We follow her on Instagram at Swanky Maven. Felice Sloan, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, 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 hey. I am wonderful, Eric. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for doing this. Let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. Three Houston chefs and restaurants are finalists in the 2023 James Beard Awards. They are Benchawan Japthong Painter of Street to Kitchen for Best Chef Texas, Nancy's Hustle for Outstanding Wine and Other Beverages Program, and Tetemo for Best New Restaurant. Felice, let me throw it to you. I mean, what do you think? Like, we we had 10 local semifinalists. Uh, Victoria Lazanda from Cochinito & Co. was nominated for Rising Star Chef. Theodore Rex was nominated for Outstanding Hospitality. Greg Gatlin was the Best Chef Texas nominee. The chef from Nam Gao in Chinatown was the Best Chef Texas nominee. Uh, but this is where we're at. So what do you think? How did, we, how did, the, how did the Beard Awards Committee do picking these three uh, establishments as Houston's representatives in the finalists? I mean, I figured, I kind of had narrowed it down. I mean, when we got to the 10, I'm like, that's great. Um, I I have other opinions, but I just, I play the political game. You know, I know how things shake out. I just do. Just, that's just me, you know. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I just know what I know, right? Um, so, I kind of predicted, I kind of did like two lists and this was with the exception of Nancy's hustle. I kind of had Nancy's maybe. So I think it's a good list. So with me saying all that, I think it's a good list. I think it's a great representation. How about you? Is this how you saw it going? Did you see it going a different way? You know, I, I agree with you that I am pleasantly surprised that Nancy's made it through in the beverages category, because mm-hmm. first of all, those national categories, it's it's a little bit of a crapshoot, right? Like they're all to be a semifinalist means you're eminently qualified. And then it's just a question of how many people on whatever judging panel are familiar with you and want to vote for you over the other nominees. I mean, they're up against, uh, you know, for example, they're up against Coat in New York City, the Korean steakhouse it's got a michelin star and it's like known for its wine list and you know some pioneering programs out on the west coast that have really made a splash so i mean i think it's awesome because there's justin van and you know the whole team at, at nancy's do a great job putting together that natural that natural wine list and the sherry program and and the the cocktails uh zach and and the whole bar team does a great job there so you know i i mean i'm excited for them but yeah, I mean, I, I would say that that Tetemo for Best New Restaurant, this is a place that's gotten a lot of regional attention. You know, it's a favorite of Jose Rolat, the, the taco editor of Texas Monthly. It's gotten national attention from Esquire Magazine. So, you know, that they were kind of in the mix for that makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, Street to Kitchen, I mean, you know, won Restaurant of the Year last year in the in the Tastemaker Awards locally and and has you know has gotten a lot of attention i think 
some from its location, right? It's in a, it's in a, shares a parking lot with a gas station and, and right. a lot from Chef Painter or Chef G as she's known to her friends, a Thai woman doing like really traditional Thai flavors, but, but using just like a ton of local produce and, and protein. So, you know, it's, it's the right kind of restaurant to get this kind of attention. So out of the three, um, Thai the Kitchen is the out of my prediction. I, I would love to see all three of them win. So don't hear me say anything else. But out of the three, I think Treat the Kitchen has is my best bet to win it. I think they have the best chance of winning, bringing home the win. I want all of them to win, but I think they have the best chance to win. You know, I think that's probably right. I mean, that Best Chef Texas category is absolutely loaded. I mean, I know, I mean, have you been to Burnt Bean Co. out in Seguin, for example? You know, no, the, I, I, we were going to try to go, but yeah. All the barbecue people just rave about that. You know, Alemi, the, the restaurant in El Paso was on uh, Padma Lakshmi's Hulu series, Taste of the Nation. Uh, you know, so... So all, I mean, all five of those restaurants uh, right. have gotten a fair amount of attention, but yeah, or, or right. Sandwich Hag in Dallas and, and Clementine in, in San Antonio. Right. I mean, but yes, I would, I would, of the three of, of our three local representatives, I think, I think Street to Kitchen probably has the best shot because. And not taking anything away from the category. To your point, which you just listed, not right. taking anything away from the category or anything away from any of the other competition that's out there or other the other contenders in the other categories and the people that we have up. Yes, that's right. No, it's no upset if no, no. or any of these other restaurants wins Best Chef Texas. It, it would not surprise me at all. But but if I had to, you know, if you're asking me to handicap, I would handicap street to kitchen as as the restaurant that's most likely. I, I mean, what I think is the most interesting thing about Best Chef Texas is there's no overlap from last year, from 2022, right? Like last year, Blood Brothers was nominated. Yeah. Sin Chow was nominated. Uh, the guy from Cured in San Antonio, who's been mm -hmm. nominated for years, like didn't even make the semifinalists this year. So, you know, we're in this moment with James Beard where, they want to recognize different, a, a broader range of restaurants, right? It's not just white guys with tasting right. menus anymore. It's about time. It's say it again. Say it one more time. Repeat that last sentence. Say it one more time for the people in the back. It's not just white guys with tasting menus anymore. They say, right. And it's about time. So I love to see it that it is not. And you know what? Let, let, let me just have a moment for the white guys with tasting menus because there's some great ones. So cheers to that. But it is time for it to be other cuisines and other food recognized beyond that, right? For James Beard. That's all I'm saying. So I love that it's a whole new crop, right? Where it's a whole new crop of people that are being recognized um, next year. Maybe it's some um, light faces and maybe it's a whole new crop again. There's nothing wrong with that. Right, because it's not as though, right? It's it's not it's not that say 
Aaron Bluedorn is not worthy of this kind of recognition, right? No, I would rank that all. as one of the most outstanding restaurants in Houston, which means it's competitive with any restaurant in Texas. But it's you just know, I the, love Aaron, love it, yeah, love him, love his food, correct? Right, but you know, right now the committee is is they're they're looking for different. They're looking for a broader classification of restaurants, and and I think the pendulum will swing back to where it's it's a little more balanced. But yeah, right now, Street to Kitchen, Burnt Bean Co., Sandwich Hag, these are the kind of restaurants that that people are the most excited about, and so they're the kind of restaurants that are basking in the spotlight, and and they're all great places, and they right. and they wouldn't have been eligible necessarily for this kind of recognition before, so. Yeah, let's let's give them their flowers, and one of them is going to win Best Chef Texas, and then we'll see what happens next year, right? Like, right. there's not, but but you know, in the past they had this this thing where if you got nominated four or five times, eventually you were going to win because it would kind of be thought of as your turn, and and I think there's there's not that kind of process in place right now because the former winners aren't voting, right, and so they're not they're not gatekeeping in the same way. They're not recognizing their friends and colleagues in the same way that, that used to happen. So, and it it needs to happen. And I think it needed to happen. What it's better for diners. It's better for the industry. And even if, and as you say, things swing back, there needs to be a balance. It needs to be a balance of the more traditional and then what, what, what's trending or what, say the people want there needs to be a balance because again when you have checks and balances it keeps everybody on their toes and keeps things fresh and interesting that's what needs to happen and when you have that going on then it's it's always like a good thing for the people and that's what that's what it's about and when you get away from that and then you start like oh you know Again, my friend's been on there for four or five years. I've won. Now it's time to bring. Uh, uh-uh. uh. Then that's when it's kind of like, yeah, that ain't it. So I, I, I love to see it. Love to see it. Well, and, and you know, we should say, Goodfellas is back on whatever streaming platform Goodfellas is back on. Right when you when you win one of these awards, you are a made man in the food world. <laughs> right? You, right. You, yes. You yes. come up a level in prestige. And and it opens you up to food festivals across the country, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a cookbook, maybe some of these other opportunities. And so recognizing, again, recognizing a broader class of restaurants, including different different styles of chefs and operators in these awards, where where it's not like in Goodfellas, right? You they they don't have to be able to trace your parents, you know, your whole family back to Sicily to your great 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 grandparents, you know, where you can be half Irish and still and still get made now. So right, you know, I, and also I, being nominated and being one of those finalists, if you play it right, right, like being a finalist, even if you don't win, it's kind of like as you say, being in that company. Well, dang, where when I'm in this city, let me go to uh, blah blah blah, or you know they were on the list. Let me right. check them out. Right. So it, it's it's not shabby being one of the finalists or semifinals because that is I'm in good company. So it's a good thing. No, absolutely. All right. Let's move on to topic number two. 
Speaking of Aaron Bluedorn, he announced that he is bringing an, quote, upscale tavern to the former Jonathan's The Rub Space in Memorial. Felice, I, I know you're, as you said, you're a Bluedorn fan. We've been to Bluedorn together. You've been to Bluedorn without me. <laughs> but I just, you're a fan. That's all I'm saying. I have a big yeah, the you're way you to go to it, restaurants without me. Right, but the way you said it was like <laughs> No, I mean you really like it. You don't just go because I'm, I'm like, hey, right, hey, I we gotta go to Blue yes. and talk about it for the podcast. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Anyway. So what are your expectations? I mean, you know, upscale you know, I, I talked to Aaron and I said, What in your mind is an upscale tavern? And he said, Well, you know, that's kind of how I think about Blue Dorn, right? At least the bar area. So I definitely don't think you... of Blue Dorn as an upskirt. Let's start with I need to pull, I need to talk to Aaron real quick because I definitely don't think of Blue Dorn as an upscale tavern. But when when you throw the bar in there, I'm like, I still don't think of that as an upscale tavern. But okay, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with what he's selling, and that gives me great, great um um ambition and great like warm fuzzies about what he's thinking of this new space. Let me throw this out there. When I found out which space it was going to occupy. So I'm sitting, I get this email and you know I see the title from the PR company, um Jonathan the Rubs old space and I'm like, "Wait, who's getting that space?" right? And then I see that it's Aaron Bluedorn. I was so excited. I don't. I didn't even know what they were putting in there, but that is real. That's one of my favorite spaces in, in the city, and I remember talking to, um, Jonathan about it. Like, are y'all gonna keep that space? What are you gonna do? You know, like when they got, you know, when they moved and everything, had a whole conversation because that I love the space. It's very personal to me. I didn't grow up in Memorial, but I grew up like you know, well, down I ten. And I love that space. I have great memories going to Jonathan's The Rub. As a younger person and as an adult, that was one of um, um, Shannon and I, one of, you know, Urban Swank days. Well, that was one of our honeycomb hideout spots, right? We didn't tell people about it. And <laughs> it's a great little spot. And Memorial people loved it, right? It's small little space. But it was always packed out. And so to see what Aaron is going to do with that space and what you based on what you just said, I, I'm I'm excited. I, I'm excited. I just see just very cozy, upscale, all the things that I love, a little bougie without being over the top bougie, but approachable. A place where I want to be, but not to um, River Oaks bougie. River Oaks people don't come for me. Y'all know what I'm talking about, but more, you know. Um, well, let, let me put it to you like this, right? <laughs> when I when I asked Aaron about it, I was like, you know, you could you could do anything, right? You could, right? Yes, you could you could do another. You could do something more like Blue Dorn. You could do something more like Navy Blue, the seafood restaurant. Right. You, know, you could do you could do an Italian restaurant, you could do a steakhouse, you could do anything. Right. Uh -huh. So so what was it about why why of all things a tavern? And he said, Well, you know, when we when we walked into the space, we thought, 
I don't know. It's just like with, with the wall of windows that kind of faces the parking lot. It's like, I don't know. It just kind of felt like a tavern was the, the vibe that I was getting. And, and the other thing he said was his wife, Victoria Pappas Bluedorn, grew up in Memorial, right? She's a Kincaid alum. The family, the Pappas family lives in, lives in Memorial. And they want like a date night spot in the neighborhood. And, and so it's, it's basically, it's like, where do, where do we as a couple want to go on a date? That's the kind of restaurant that we're going to build. And so I think if you kind of keep that in mind, and then you start thinking about some of the dishes on either the Blue Dorn or the Navy Blue menu that are, that are a little more casual, right? Like it's got, they've got that great uh, dry aged beef burger. Once a month, they do fried chicken. They, they've got that grouper sandwich at Navy Blue. So maybe this, this walks away from some of the pastas that they do at both restaurants and just kind of focuses on like a, a slightly heartier meat and seafood. My, my guess is that oysters are such a, a key component of everything they do at both restaurants. They'll have some, some version of a raw bar, some, some kind of aspect of that. But I don't, I don't think it's going to be like, I think the price point and the service and all that's going to be at the same level as blue door and navy blue but i i just think it's going to be like a little a little homier a little more like casual in its ambiance and its presentation but i don't think you can use homey i don't see them going homey again i see i see where you're going but even in that space i see all those things right all those things that you're saying homey would still be more of what Jonathan's the rub was before. So I see it the same way, just a little more blue dornish, right? Like if you if blue dorn and maybe maybe blue had a baby and made it a tavern. So I think we're saying the same thing. You're just making it more guy speak. And I'm putting, you know, I'm putting it a little more girlyish, I think. Right. And then and of course we'll see, right? Because it's gonna open it, you know, sometime. Sometime towards the end of the year, they're they're working on mm-hmm. it now, but we'll see. All right, let's move on to topic number three. It's funny. I think the last time you were on the show, we talked about a Ben Berg restaurant, Buttermilk Baby, the the burger place, the diner, the ice cream shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this time we're going to talk about Ben Berg has announced yet another new restaurant. This one is called Dune Road. It is a New England style seafood restaurant that is opening in the Texas Tower downtown. Uh, Elise, I'll just I'll just throw it to you. I mean. What are your what are your expectations for Dune Road, a a New England style seafood restaurant? I just want to know what Ben is doing. What is Ben doing? Because I mean, every month he opening a new concept. Let, let me just can what what is Ben doing? Let's just talk about that, okay? Um, no, Ben is a busy I, guy. I mean, I mean, Ben is Ben, ben is, a, is busy. Yeah, I mean, I I listed it all out in the article, but but you know, we <laughs> talked about buttermilk baby. We've talked about. Benny Chow's, his Chinese right. restaurant, Canopy Social, I, the rooftop I bar above Benny Chow's. There's a there's a live fire restaurant opening in Timber Grove. He's he's redoing La Tab and putting in Tavola, which is an Italian restaurant that'll be paired with La Tab. There's a couple of restaurants at Autry Park, which is the mixed use development on Allen Parkway. One is Annabelle's, a brasserie. The other is Turner's Cut, which is like a very fancy. Steakhouse, like a an evolution of the Turner's Supper Club concept, uh, and that's just off the top of my head. And and there there may be more, right. but yes, Ben Ben is a very busy guy. He's busy. Uh, you gotta love yeah. it. I love it. We're we're efforting. 
I'm efforting Ben for the podcast. We'll have Ben on the podcast probably in May to talk about some of this stuff. I love it. I love it. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because, you know, downtown concepts, this would be, and I know you'll correct me, will this be his first downtown concept? Well, yeah, depending on, I right, depending on kind of what you think of B&B Butchers on Washington Avenue, which is kind of downtown adjacent, but not actually in downtown. Yeah, I don't yes, count is, that, yeah. No, this, this will is be his the first, first restaurant downtown. Yeah, so I don't, I, mm, I, I don't know. I don't really have high expectations, meaning just because it's so interesting and it has its own challenges. I, I would say I just kind of, I don't have any expectations. I, I don't. Whenever I go to a downtown restaurant, I'm just kind of like, I have no expectations. I want it to be good. I, I I'm literally fighting for my life with the parking, right? <laughs> so well, I'm just I mean, like, the, okay. the, the building will have. I mean, the building has a garage. It's very close to uh, Lyric Market, which has a huge garage. So I don't think parking's going to be that big a challenge. I mean, most people will valet. I know you're a, you're an anti valet person, so you won't. But most people will probably just valet. Okay. And then you know this tower. It's like. You know, I don't have it right in front of me. I think it's like 47 stories. Vincent and Elkins, the law firm, is going to be there. Heinz, the real estate company that's that that built the building, is there. So it's going to have okay, so it's a pretty all vibrant. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, so then, so now that that's out of the way, then I'm just looking for a great experience. Then, right? So that's because for me, a lot of people, because we talk park, I talk the parking about heights parking with people all the time. So once we get past that. I'm looking for his normal experience. He gives me experience, ambiance, and good food. So I'm looking for what I get from his concepts. And um, he's usually on trend for his concepts. So I'm looking for good seafood, you know, like, you know, what I'm looking for him to put his stank on it. And and New England style seafood, I mean, you know, I... It's different, yeah. Well, and we have family on the East Coast. And so, you know, this is this is a style of seafood that I'm very familiar with. It doesn't really, we don't see a lot of it down here, right? Simply, right. you know, steam, just just steamed lobster. Nothing nothing fancy, just, just classic steamed with drawn butter, fried clams, clam chowder, steamed clams, you know, fish and chips, that kind of stuff. Like we just don't, we just don't have a lot of that. There's places that do lobster rolls and there's places that do other things, but, but not not as a comprehensive sort of experience and, and you know so for the most part like i go to the east coast and i i spend a week like you know eating fried clam rolls and and crushing steamed lobster just and i don't eat you know i don't eat barbecue in in new england and i don't <laughs> eat new england style seafood in texas i eat gulf coast seafood so right. i'll be i'll be really curious to see kind of how this is executed because i have i have very firm ideas about what this food should look and taste like and and I know there's a whole bunch of East Coast transplants who feel the same way, uh, but but this is certainly a cuisine that Ben knows well. And, yeah, and so he's an East Coast guy. Right? Yeah, he's so in New York. He's in New York. He knows guy. how to get it right. Yeah. Yeah. So I have high expectations for this because we don't really have anything quite like it, and and I think it could be really fun. Yeah, I'm excited. Right. Topic number four. I don't want to linger on this too long, but but this this article absolutely blew up on Culture Map, and it is the news about home run dugout which is a baseball themed entertainment complex. It's kind of, it kind of does for batting cages, what Top Golf did for driving ranges, right? Like the, it adds some technology. 
it makes it a little easier for uh, newbies, right? Like the instead of instead of having them all pitched at you by a pitching machine, it pops up out of the ground. So it's a little easier to swing. They have screens that'll that'll display different baseball stadiums. So, you know, if you want to pretend to hit a, a home run at Minute Maid Park, for example, you can do that. Or Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park or Wrigley Field. I mean, whatever it is. So, you know, I think we're a baseball-obsessed town, right? Now, now that the Astros have won a couple of World Series, you know, every everyone I know, it seems like they're they're their children play either baseball or softball. And so I'm not surprised that someone created this concept. I'm not surprised that it's come to Houston. And I'm not really surprised that the article absolutely blew up because it it just, it suits the moment so well. There's, there's flight club for darts and there's puttery for, for mini golf. And so, yeah, now, now there's the baseball one and it's called home run dugout. Mm-hmm. But you live in Katie. What do you think? Listen, Eric, at my big, at my big age, I know what I like. And um, I like that for the people. I love it. I love it for the people. For me, it's going to be a no. I'm not going to be there with everybody and their kids. I, I'm not. I'm not. I, I think it's great, though. I think it's great for Houston and suburbia. I love it. I will not be there. That's 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 where I'm going to go with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know that. I, I do know that. And they have and they have food and they have and they have food and drinks. You know, I, I suspect I suspect how this is gonna go is that it'll it'll be like somebody's birthday party, right? Like you'll get yep. you'll get invited because somebody will be some you know, either either somebody like an adult you know wants to have like a like this will be part of an evening. We start at home run dugout and then we go get dinner at Fat Eatery or Tim Hawan or, or something like that. Okay, and now you're that, speaking my language. So now you've set that up. Adults say, right, so that's, I can do that, right? Like, we start out there, we do that, then we kind of do a, a crawl, and yes, that, that sounds like something that I would be interested in doing, yes. Right, I, I feel like this is like a bachelor party no-brainer, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh yeah, we'll take the guys to, we'll take the guys to Home Run Dugout, we'll We'll hit we'll hit dingers for an hour, and then we'll we'll hang out at the bar. We'll have some drinks, and then we'll go do something else. Mm-hmm. That's good because you have all the yeah, Eric. That's good. Okay. All right, Felice. I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Police for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Coogee's Kitchen. This is Chef Keisha Griggs' new restaurant in the South Park neighborhood. We know Keisha from her time in Palted Row, where she had a Caribbean restaurant. You know, she was working with Marcus Davis at Culture, kind of curating Black Chef's Table. And, and she's still, you know, she's doing a lot of kind of the same Caribbean flavors at Coogee's Kitchen, I, I feel like I should point out it's also, it's Black Restaurant Weeks right now. Uh, that'll last through mid-April. So it seems like a good time to talk about a newly opened Black-owned restaurant from a from a very talented local chef. So so I say all that to say to you, what did you think of your meal at Coogee's Kitchen? I loved my meal. Um, I loved... 
I love the concept. I love my meal. I love everything that they're doing. Um, so it's a kitchen. So they, they have the restaurant and the coffee house. I love that it is lunch and dinner. And then they're doing breakfast in the morning. It is, you know, the two, sh when I talk to chef, so it's chef and the two former. So it is a project with her and then Ivy League Forms and Fresh Life Organic Forms. Um, that's, you know, that's them. So you got fresh food and then a chef behind it. So you can't miss with that, right? But then when you look at the menu, the way they um, do the menu, all the food is very affordable, it's very approachable, and you get like a lot of food. And that's intentional. That's intentional. They want to be able to um, supply the neighborhood with good food. They want to be able to make the food affordable and approachable. And um, I love my food. I had a, I, I was torn because I was like, do I want a bowl? Because I, I had in my mind what I wanted. But uh, I was like, well, do I want the regular rice? What's the soul food rice? And chef was like, well, you know, everybody likes fried rice, but I wanted to do my take on it. So the soul food rice definitely is like kind of a, her um, chef Griggs's take on her fried rice. She put she definitely puts her stank on it where it has like some okra and just um, what else was in there? I'm not looking at the menu. I've drawn a blank, but it's. um. Um, it it was kind of mixed. It had a, like a nice little mix. Um, I did salmon with it because you can mix. Do you can do different proteins? But the protein I decided to do was salmon. I had plantain. Um, it had a side of greens. And the next day, I I was I was laughing. I remixed it. And I remixed it because I wanted because I had so much left. And I remixed it the next day with the greens and the soul food rice. And I didn't put a protein with it. And when I tell you it was amazing, it was amazing. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. I look forward to going back and getting um, one of the bowls and some of the different dishes. And I know we were supposed to go together. We couldn't work that out. Um, and I laughed. I told her, I said, when Eric comes, make sure he doesn't get what I got so he can get something different. So... We can talk about it, but also then I can know what I'm going to get next time I come and she laughs. So what did you get? Yeah. So, so, you know, obviously, you know, again, like I've, I've, I've known Keisha for a few years. So, and, and you had told her I was coming. So when I walked in, you know, she was all smiles. It's like, oh yeah, you know, good to see you. Um, <laughs> so I asked for advice and said, what do you, what should I get? And she said, try the Trini Chi chicken, which is this like kind of Swedish, like not 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 Swedish meatball, like sweet-ish uh, glazed chicken she does. So I made my own bowl again with the soul rice and the greens. And, and it's like, it's like kind of bone on chopped up, you know, you kind of cut it apart and mix the bowl together. I, I, I mean, I like sweet, so that really worked for me, but it was, you know, sweet with a little bit of, a little bit of heat to it. Right. Especially if you, they have a, a house hot sauce that you can, you can sprinkle in that'll perk it up a little bit. Uh, and mm -hmm. then, and then not, not knowing that, you know, a, a Jamaican style samosa 
was a meal in and of itself. I was like, oh, you know, give me a, give me a samosa, figuring they'd be like the Indian restaurant style little appetizer. No, no. The thing was huge. I mean, it was like oh, yeah. sized and, and, and would have been a meal on itself. And yep. then she sent me out, you know, I, I paid for all that. And then she gave me just a little taste of the vegetable lo mein that she's doing, which is like, you know, kind of a, a tubular pasta uh, with a bunch of fresh vegetables in it that in some ways may have been my favorite thing that I ate. Not that the other two weren't good, but just that the, the lo mein was so fresh and, and interesting in its textures uh, and so nicely prepared that I was like, Oh, you know, that's, that's, I ate, I ate as much of that as I ate of anything else. I will say I really liked the greens because they're that kind of smoky. It's so uh, good. And and it's so interesting to me. It's like, it's like, you know, I've watched, I've watched the high on the hog documentary. I understand that there are ties that bind from West African food to Caribbean food to Southern food, right? Like from, from jollof rice to jambalaya. It's not that it's not a leap, right? It's an evolution, Mm -hmm. but, but sort of to go there and like, Oh, you know, like in some ways I would say, if you like the food at chopping block, you're going to like what Keisha Griggs is doing at Coogee's Kitchen, you know, because right, because it really brings everything together, really, if you think about it. Right. It does. Yeah. I, it, it feels like it just it feels like an evolution, like it feels like these are these are cuisines that are in conversation with each other. Uh-huh. And so that that part's really appealing to me. And then, you know, I'm kind of driving. It's on Martin Luther King Boulevard south of 610 which is not a neighborhood that I'm very familiar with. And, and it shares a parking lot with a gas station. And so I, I kind of, I pull in and it's this humble place and it's real casual and it's counter service. And, and I think to myself, like, is this the Caribbean food? Is this going to be the Caribbean food version of street to kitchen where it's like, we have this, this, (laughs) this great female owned business with a, with a dynamic local chef who's using local produce and making and making things the right way. And, and we're all of a sudden it's like, this is going to be, is this going to be the place that kind of, that, that kind of gets the the food media, like to go like start talking about Caribbean food. Right. Cause it's not like, it's not like there aren't other Caribbean restaurants, but they may not speak to current standards of like menu construction or ingredient use or plating in quite the same way that Keisha Griggs is doing at Coogee's Kitchen. And so, like, I I don't know. What what do you think? Like, am, am I totally off base? I would love it. I think that she's on to something. Um, um, and I think you may be on to something. Before, I, I'm going to go there. But before I do, because I don't want to forget this, the African soul fried rice, okra, corn, peppers, onions, black-eyed peas. Right? So, yeah, that's her version of the fried rice. But yes, I think you're definitely on to something. Um, and when when you, you as you when you say it like that, definitely, right? The plating. Um, one of the things to tie in the Black Restaurant Weeks, they're going to debut with that, um, start doing some of their brunch stuff. So they're that you know, that's gonna kind of be um one of their offerings for restaurant week. So they're going to do like their jerk chicken and waffles. And then after that, they'll be offering brunch, right? Um, they're going to, you know, she already does these dinners 
um, with the form. Um, so they'll be doing the dinners there at the restaurant. So I think to your point of doing this Caribbean on a whole nother level that some of the other um, restaurants have not been able to do it in Houston to open it up to other, you know, other people and make it more approachable and kind of like, oh, I think she's the right chef at the right time to do it. So I would love to see it. Definitely love to see it. Yeah, no, I, I had her food at Palton Row. And so I, I had some familiarity with it, but I, I really didn't know what to expect. And I was pleasantly surprised by how much I liked what I tried. And again, it's not that far away, right? It didn't take me that long to get there. It was an easy, short little drive. You know, if you live, if you live in Midtown, it's 15 minutes, basically. And, and I, and I really enjoyed, and I really enjoyed the food. And, and, you know, I know David Lefwich, who does the, the full menu with us on uh, Houston Public Media was down there last week too. And so uh, he writes for Houston Food Finder and Edible Houston. And so I, I think it's, I, I do think it's just kind of a matter of time before like the food community, like the media starts to kind of make their way down there. And, and I think you're going to start, you're going to hear a lot about this restaurant in the next couple of months. So y'all better get there for y'all. So y'all can be like, right. Remember uh, where you heard about it. That's all. <laughs> Remember where you heard it first. Like, Oh yeah. All right. Anything else on this? That's it. All right. Felice, I'm going to say that does it for our restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I'll be right back with June Rodil and Felipe Riccio. I am joined this week by two of the partners in Goodnight Hospitality, the restaurant group behind Rosie Cannonball, Montrose Cheese and Wine, March, and the Marigold Club coming soon. Let me introduce you separately so people can hear your voices. June Rodil, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. Excited to be here. And Felipe Riccio, I think this is your, is this, is this four? Feel like this may be your three fourth or four. three or four. Yeah. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for having me back. Famous. Oh, God. I mean, it's funny because I had you guys on about three years ago. And I and I listened back to that episode in preparation for today. And it's such a different world, right? Rosie Cannonball had just reopened for dine-in. March had been delayed, but we didn't know for how long. I asked you about when Goodnight Charlie's was gonna reopen. We talked about the fundraising you were doing for the NAACP in the wake of the the George Floyd situation. So it, it's so like like today we just get to talk about restaurants, right? Yeah. And and we don't have to worry about any of that other stuff. And so we could start a whole bunch of different places, but I, I really want to talk about March uh, because we haven't really. And and so either either one of you, I mean, feel free to kind of jump off a little bit, but but kind of talk to me about about March's evolution because it's been about two years since you opened that restaurant. Obviously it's been, it's been very successful, gotten a ton of national attention and so, and, and regional attention. So, so just kind of tell me a little bit about, about two years of March. Yeah. I mean, you know, definitely um, it feels like 10 
<laughs> it feels like, like 10 years. It feels like one, uh, one week or one 10 week years. Or 10 right. Years. Restaurant, restaurant years are like dog years. So yes, that, yeah, that makes right. sense. Um, yeah, no, it does. Um, and, uh, you know, there is definitely a constant evolution built into, into what March is, you know, with, with the fact that we change menus, you know, every five months or so. Uh, so there is already a built-in um, evolution and change and steep learning curve uh, because we're changing what we're doing every every five months. Um, you know, and it's been it's I mean it's been a tremendous learning experience for for us as partners uh, for the team. You know, we're we're pretty lucky to have a, a spectacular team all around um, that is willing to go with the project and, and, and put in the work to, to pull off, you know, uh, a, a nightly, you know, service. And then obviously the, the menu changes, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I've, yeah. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I think I've enjoyed this season the most because we're, we're, you know, Humming, humming and grooving at this point. Uh, but, you know, there's there's always the challenge of the new season. I I mean, I love it because I love, I love opening restaurants and I love like constant evolution like that. I think, you know, there's some people who love like the consistency of day to day and like knowing what they come into. And we do have that in terms of standards of service and the way that we do service. So we get, you get the comfort of that. But I think that it's really easy to get bored with what you do day to day. And so making sure that people see this ability to constantly change and learn new things, like really explore new regions is, is really is really amazing, but it's definitely not for everyone. So we've had to like move people around in terms of like figuring out how they learn, what they're really into, into the hospitality industry. And, you know, thankfully we have other outlets. If for instance, they're a better fit for something like, you know, high-end casual, like Rosie Cannonball or at Montrose Cheese and Wine, or even like laying the foundation for what may be at the Marigold Club, because, you know, March is different. It's I think it's hard to establish the expectation of what to come into day to day, not just even, not just for our, our team, but for guests as well, because it's not something that you see very often. Um, so making sure that communication is really good between us, our vision, our team, and our guests is really important. And we're constantly changing like our concept. So it's, it's hard. It's a lot of talking. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I mean, I, I have a few other questions. I, I, I want to kind of dive in a little bit, but but talk to me a little bit about the guest experience because it is so unusual and there there aren't really a lot of Houston restaurants where, you know, you start at the lounge and you're welcomed with typically the the vermouth and the bar snacks, and then you move into the dining room and and every course is explained and, and there's the wine pairings and the open kitchen. It's just, and it's, you know, you're in this beautiful room with like perfect lighting and art and bespoke furniture. And, and it's, it's just, it's a very, it's a very comfort, like there are, there are other places that serve very refined food. There are other places that, that have like a tasting menu or an omakase style experience, but, but I don't think there's anywhere quite in Houston that that's like as comprehensive, right. From, from the moment you like walk in the door and, and go up to the second floor until like you get your little take home bag with the menu and the takeaways. And, and, and so I, 
yeah, talk to me a little bit about kind of crafting that experience and kind of what what influences helped shape your idea about how you wanted the service at March to go. I mean, well, first, thank you for saying that because yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, honestly, yeah, I think a lot of people don't recognize it because it is like comprehensive is such an amazing word because there's so many good things out there. Right? We don't want to say that, you know, it's completely different. It, I think it just takes elements of all the things that we love mm-hmm. and we're trying to put that all together to make something really unique, which is extremely hard. It can be very muddled. Like it can, I mean, the more aspects of an experience that you kind of into one hopefully organic experience can honestly like turn really shitty and muddy if it if you're not on the right parallel with the rest of your partners yeah um so it's it's great that that's how it's translating yeah. honestly it's it's really meaningful and you know i think it's it we often get the question like why fine dining you know it's fine dining you know should it should it be a thing Oh, we're going to have uh, and, that conversation. Don't worry. That, yeah, that's yeah. So I think, you know, I'll jump in a little bit there. But like, it, it really, like your question, I think, you know, the way to answer it is the reason why fine dining, uh, we chose to do it this way is because it allows, allows you to various reasons, uh, the, the control, the pace, the, how, you know, the, the cost of it, um, the expectations, all of it. It allows you to craft an experience to the most, to the best, uh, and to highlight uh, um, the best of of of, of all worlds, you know, of all of the the aspects that make a restaurant special, you know, being able to do you know fifty covers or so uh, allows us to pay a little bit more attention to the little details, which it doesn't mean that it's not happening at some a place like Rosie that they're doing two hundred covers. It's happening, but it's a different view, it's a different perspective, it's a different speed. Um, so really for us, like especially because they're in the same building, being able to craft a different experience that is just a, uh, has a richer or more engaged, you know, uh, experience, um, you know, it kind of is, is what the driving goal of it is. You know, and like, you know, there's every, everything we're doing, like, you know, and I'm a, I really do believe this, like, you know, everything's been done, you know, I really do. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of these experiences are, are, or ideas or things that, you know, we've seen in other restaurants that we've enjoyed, that we've loved. And that's why, you know, that's why we go and dine, you know, at different places to experience and to, to take home what we, what we really love and, you know, speaks to us. Yeah. I think, I believe in the composite. Like it, yeah. I, I agree with Felipe, like everything's been done. Um, and, and people do it at different levels of mm-hmm. quality, you know? And so if we're going to, choose to do something we want to like march is a place where we have the scope or we hope (laughs) to have the scope um and the bandwidth to be able to focus on every detail that we can and try to do it as at the height of what we we can physically mentally and emotionally do it so it it is a lot you know you're looking at basically like you know one human being per person, uh, like <laughs> per guest, that's sorry, that's almost to where it's yeah. like, I have the attention of yeah. this specific detail. That is my job, yeah. you know? So it's, it's a lot, it's a lot and it's not for everyone, yeah, but and, we love it. Yeah. And you really, um, you know, the team 
being willing to to learn every season the the, the different focus of the menu you know uh, learning the overall you know philosophy behind the restaurant and what, and being hungry for knowledge and being willing to share that with the guest you know is so crucial but also like being able to recognize how much a guest wants to hear and you know maybe i guess maybe yeah guess, it's a lot of intuition yeah, i guess maybe just wants to enjoy the amazing wine and they don't care about the furniture right or maybe all they care about is how the restaurant looks right and and then our goal is to always deliver that for them and then also surprise them in different ways where you know oh wow like the cocktail program was amazing i wasn't expecting that you know or oh wow like this these dishes or the way you talk about food is something i've never experienced or whatever it may be you know we try to deliver with their expectations but then give them something that maybe they yeah but expect. without smothering yeah without being like, that's really, i think well, that's really important well and of course i'm gonna get like the geekiest most over-the-top version of it sure. you yes. know like because well, you know, you want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I because I want it right. Like I want, I want, I want all the little details. A and what impressed me is, you know, over the course of nine courses, I, I think five different people came to the table. Right, we we had our server. There was the captain. You know, the sommelier. There's Mark, the the beverage director, who, who kind of runs the dining room, and and then I think there was a, even a food runner at one point who delivered a course and was like. This is the thus and so, and it's made with the this and that. And it's like, okay, like if everybody is on the same page and everybody can tell the story behind each dish and the wines and everything, like I, I just like that speaks to the training, right? Yeah. And and that speaks to to the uh to a staff that really wants to like craft an experience for people. And yes. and I just it's just so rare. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and it's it's all it's all, you know, thanks to the staff, you know, willing to to learn it and go through it and they're passionate about it and they enjoy it. You know, they really, truly do. Um, you know, there's obviously difficult moments, uh, the stress of a restaurant, but they really do um, enjoy that's, it. Yeah, I think yeah. that the type of people that fit at March is where they feel that that's the reward. Like they sense the reward that the guest is really engaged and enjoying themselves. And it's a special... It's a special person especially yeah. i would say in the kitchen even more difficult so that's why it's important for us to have an open kitchen is so that they can see that people are enjoying things um because if not it just becomes more it's like this weird remote to disconnect yeah. yeah to disconnect so they can really see the engagement and there's a really great back and forth between the kitchen and the front of house in that aspect yeah. day to day it's awesome right so so Talk to me a little bit about the different regions that you've covered. I mean, I, I, you, you've been through Spain, you've been through parts of France. Now you're in Greece. So, so just tell me, like, how did you decide to do Greece? And then what is the process of kind of, okay, like, we're going to do Suvlaki, we're going to do Spanakopita, we're going to do Moussaka. Like, how do you identify a country and then start or a region and then start figuring out, like, what are the dishes we're going to we're going to yeah. put our spin on? Yeah, so you know, it definitely there's a ton of collaboration with with the with the entire culinary team. Um, you know, it is you know we started in the in the Levant, so the eastern part of the Mediterranean, uh, when it was just a lounge. You know, and and they really started there because it was a you weren't at a full dining table, you weren't seating at the correct height, and you know all this and the spacing and everything. So we really said, okay, like 
style, and it really does exist in a lot of parts of the Mediterranean, but it, we, we said, okay, a mezzo style of dining, you know, a small little plates. Where, where are we? Yeah, where are we? Where can we be in the Mediterranean? And we could have started anywhere. We could have started with Chiquetti in Northern Italy, with tapas, you know, with pinchos, you know, with, with you know, the Greek, uh, you know, sitos. It could have been, it could have been in a lot of places, but we decided to start in the Levant with mezzo, right? Uh, and it really made sense for the style of dining and, and, and the season we were in and, and all that. So really, that was the, the starting point. Um, and every season as we approach and, you know, I can tell you, like, ideally how it works. And and, and then also in reality, how it works, right? Uh, in reality, we, we, you know, we, we have a schedule and, we, you know, we have, okay, like, you know, you know, we have five months in between opening and closing, right? So uh, two months now we start with research or this or that and, you know, many weeks of R&D and whatnot. Uh, obviously restaurants are difficult and you blink and it's like, oh, we actually only have two weeks left. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's come up with a menu. Uh, where are we going next? You know, so it really has changed. And as a team, as a team for the culinary team and as a team for the entire restaurant, you know, we are getting better and stronger at uh, making those pivots, making that, doing that research uh, because it, it is a lot of research. There's a lot of reading and there's a lot of, you know, uh, you know, understanding the language, the geography of the place, the culture, uh, how it came to be as we understand it in modern terms. What was it like 500 years ago? What was it, you know, like 100 years ago? Uh, because it's all different. And that's the idea of Marx. Like, you know, it's always, ha- you know, this different. The entire Mediterranean has been the series of changing borders that have influenced each other, right? Um, and we do it, obviously, from a modern perspective or semi-modern perspective, looking at different regions, whether historical regions or, or um, cultural regions. So we started in the Levant, then we went to the Maghreb, just kind of doing geographically, you know, a clockwise. Yeah, we were, we were moving. Yeah. And, I mean, I know this is. A- yeah, we were moving geographically, you know, from the, from the eastern part of the Mediterranean. Yeah, you were kind of moving, you were moving yeah. east to west, which, which makes a certain amount of sense. But right. notably, right, you skipped Italy. And yeah. And I, oh. and, and I and that's I know you. Thing. I like, know you for pasta, right? Like yes. I, you know. Well, and that's purposeful. Yeah. We, Felipe's like, no, that's not what yet. everyone expects. No, it's not yet. And we're, you know, it, we we said not yet. We're not. We're not quite there. We're not ready yet. Uh, you know, and and it really did. It did make sense. Like we went from the Levant to the North Africa and the Maghreb to Andalusia and Murcia in the south of Spain, two of the regions. So that leaves a ton of the rest of Spain. Yeah. You know. Uh, for grabs at a later date and then we did and you kind of really the, the reason for the moves the research that we're doing is definitely based on the current focus but you're always going to be reading because they're not hard, hard borders they're not hard differences you're going to be reading about the next the next thing area. right and so it really does the research for the current menu does influence our thoughts on the next season mm-hmm. you know so when we're looking you know we did occitania the south, the historical south of France region, you know, that encompassed a lot of it, you know, from Bordeaux all the way to Provence. Um, you know, we kind of said, okay, let's cat- let's go a little bit scattershot so we can go anywhere after this. So we said, okay, let's do the islands. You know, let's do the Mediterranean islands. Let's kind of showcase a larger view of the Mediterranean once, you know, um, which we haven't quite done. And that was hard because there was a lot of different, you know, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different cuisines. Finding the through line is always difficult. It's a lot harder when you're in a, in a bigger area. Yeah. And then, you know, we left Sicily and Greece to their own devices because 
they're large enough. And really like Corsica and Sardinia could have been yeah. a whole menu. Malta, uh, you know, a little hard. Not so much. Uh, Cyprus. But, you know, yeah, you know so Cyprus, much. you know, but, you know, so really like we said, okay, let's leave Greece and Sicily alone. Because um, they're their own guys for us. Yeah. yeah. And and then, you know, as the season ended, you know, we, we kind of, we, there was a lot of influence, especially in the eastern part in the eastern islands of the Mediterranean from Greece, you know, so we really decided to land there. I have to, I'm going to interject though. Yeah. I think that like, honestly, one of the other aspects of that is that Felipe, I mean, this is a you thing and I, I am proud of you for this. Like it's one of those aspects where if we would have just done an Italian, we could have started there. Right. Because there is an expectation, like it's Felipe Riccio. That's just like not how he works. He wants it to be collaborative and it's extremely important for him and us as a company to ensure that our chefs feel that they are part of the cuisine and the creative process. Like that's the whole aspect and it's collaborative yeah. and comprehensive, just like what we were talking about in terms of the entire experience. Felipe is not going to be like, I want to go and do this um, Emilian Romanian like dinner right away because that's what I'm known for because then it would be the Felipe Riccio show and that's just not how it works yeah and so it really the way that the research the footprint that we want for the research and how how dishes and entire menus develop is for everyone to be able to have their say in it and I think that that's really important and it really like one day though I've got yeah I'm very excited too. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm going to leave like a, a sit in and we're not going to leave until you agree to do pasta. <laughs> yeah. It, so, it's going to happen. It's uh, going to happen. He's looking at me like it's not. It's so, totally happening. No, you know, and it really like, you know, each menu is different. You know, when we look at Greece and there's a, a great Greek population in town, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure to kind of honor that and make sure that we, we gave the attention. Uh, that it needed and hit the the points that it needed. And there's obviously like you can just rely on some of the classic dishes and, you know, um, and kind of explore them, uh, which oftentimes a lot of them are modern ideas and construct, mm -hmm. you know. And also when you're looking at something like, you know, the Maghreb, like, I don't know how many, you know, there's definitely a, a tremendous population of, of immigrants in this in the city, which helps a ton. Uh, but how many people know about Algerian food? You know, how many people know a lot about Tunisian food? So it's definitely a different perspective from the guest that we can kind of play around with a little bit more or surprise guests a little bit more. But with Greece, where a lot of people recognize, whether it's Greek American food or whether it's, you know, we've had so many people from Greece come in and have dinner and like little touches that they're like, oh, my God, I haven't seen this since, you know, you know, I, I went there last or since I was a kid or whatever, you know. Uh, like the little submarine. Yeah, like, little submarine, you know, little on the spoon for one of the cocktails, which is like, like little candy. you know, it's this little glucose flavored glucose, you know, like taffy that you put in drinks and, and you know. Uh, but it's like you only know it if you've been yeah. there, you know, nobody. Yeah, or, you know, just do here. deep research. Yeah. Uh, and well, and, but it's got to be, it's got to be tricky to like, do souvlaki or not souvlaki spanakopita right yeah. because because nico nico's is right down the street and that spanakopita is delicious so you're kind of yeah. walking a high wire mm -hmm. right it's a you know it's a 245 tasty menu it's gotta be great or yeah. i'll go or i should or i should have just spent the 10 bucks down the street exactly right. oh my god so yeah. much and you know it's always that, and like, that dish like went through yeah a lot you know i mean that was like and and i think that was probably my favorite thing i ate so oh thank you that's awesome neat yeah, and you know, it, it is definitely 
I think it's always a high higher because it is an expensive meal. It's an expensive experience. Uh, so we always we always want to make sure we deliver. At the end of the day, like I told you, you know, when you were in for dinner, like it's got to be good at the end of the day. Like it doesn't matter how pretty the room is. It doesn't matter how much the server knows. If the food's not good, the food's not good. Uh, and, you know, it, it doesn't mean the food food is circumstantial and food, you know, everyone has a strong opinion of food. Um, so we understand that not everything's going to be for everyone. Uh, but at the end of the day, like the like flavors have to be there, textures, temperatures, all that. They have to be there for, you know, for you to enjoy the meal. Uh, and, you know, for, for something like that, we want to make sure for a dish like Spanakopita, right? Um, we want to make sure that we capture what makes that dish special in the minds of the people that enjoy that dish. Uh, what are the textures? What are the flavors? What are the components? You know, um, and, and we really need to highlight that, preserve those and then give a spin or a or a different interpretation. And that can be done through an addition of flavor that can be done with a different plating style or the seasonality of it. Um, so it really um, it really does evolve. And, and it re- like I'll stress this, like there's so much research that goes into it. And so much information that it can be very cloudy in kind of translating all of that into a final dish. And it really, the collaboration and the conversations between the different chefs and the culinary team, whether it's Amber or culinary director, you know, the, the different Sue's, uh, you know, the CDC, Austin waiter, you know, our partner at Marigold Club was with us, you know, helping out with this new menu for, for, for March, you know, all of those conversations is what allows to translate the, the idea and the research and everyone's, you know, palette and perspective into a dish that comes together, uh, you know, yeah. and, and ideally then we can really look at the full menu, how does it all come together? And that you obviously have the entire service team, the entire, you know, SOM team talking about wine, you know, what is this course? Where is it you know, on, the, on the menu? You know, what's before, what's after, you know, there's yeah. a lot. So. We should send you one of our uh, tech sheets for March so you can <laughs> see what the service staff looks at and yeah. like I mean, it's like there's like a picture with like diagrams and then the origin story and then like a vocabulary list why it's paired what region it comes from like what is classic about it versus what the spin is why it's here on this list like why because I think another important thing is like what you were saying Eric like Yalta, we chose Spanakopita, Musaka, you know, like those are very yeah. and, and I mean like important you know, dishes. Yeah. And Musaka is literally just being like, I love Musaka. Like I want, you know, I want to see it on the yeah. menu. I want to see a version on the menu. And we're like, sure, yeah, that sounds fun. You know, why not? Well, right. Um, but you right, you're doing souvlaki, but not Euro, you know. So like at some point you must yeah, have had a conversation yeah. about should we do a Euro and how would we do a Euro and and hundred percent. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, there's obviously tons and tons of ideas and conversations that, you know, end up not making it on the menu initially and maybe see their way into the menu through menu changes or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's always so much. There's so much to process, um, you know, and sometimes it's like what what hits, you know, well with everyone, you know, and what really what really puts you there and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, this is great. Yeah, I think something that we've learned too is that, you know, we really need to also ensure that the elevated aspect of it isn't just the deep um, research mm-hmm. and like the the cerebral aspect of it. But like, for instance, with Suplaki, it's A5 wagon. 
Oh, like, come on. Right, we right. Need, the, the bridge, you know, comes with, with lobster and caviar, right? It's got to, yeah, the, the menu has to has to justify its cost. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and, you know, and we always, we try to be very careful with that and making sure that we're doing it the right way, you know, because, and it's about conversation and communication with the team and the, and, the, and the guests and everyone, because like, yeah, you know, last season we were doing mackerel, you know, and, and mackerel is seen as maybe not the most expensive fish. But, you know, when you're bringing in mackerel twice a week, you know, I'm flying in from the Northeast and, and making sure it's the best quality. Like, yeah, you know, that, that price changes, uh, you know, from, you know, frozen mackerel or whatever it may be. Uh, yeah. So, you know, when we're, you know, buying mastic, you know, that's, you know, $150 a kilo, uh, you know, whatever it may be, some of these ingredients or spices, you know, our spices, we use, you know, La Boite for our spices, which, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so really seeking the best product sometimes, you know, uh, you know, it adds up. And we change, um, I mean, we change it down to like the salt. Yeah, the salt, like you every, every menu, like the salt and the olive oil, you know, right. We're using Greek salt and Greek olive oil right now. Well, right. Right. And and the olive oil is essential, right? Because, you know, that that really fruity, bright olive oil shows up in the mezzo course. And it's like, like this, this olive oil is just fucking. Delicious. And, you know, we use exactly. two, we usually use two different yeah. olive oils, right? Every menu we try and, and you know, and that's another aspect another challenge and also enjoyment, you know, the, 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 the purchasing and the, you know, um, uh, you know, finding the resources and finding the ingredients is always, is always fun for, for me. Um, you know, we always find two olive oils that we like, you know, um, that are going to hit different notes. Right. Uh, Cause there's a different one in the dessert, right? Yeah. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, and they always hit in different, different ways. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a fun project. So, so let me just ask you one other thing about March and then we'll, we'll kind of hop on other topics, but you have built this incredible team in the kitchen. I mean, I know you guys just hired Chris Davies as, as the chef de cuisine. He had been, you know, he'd been at Uchi for a long time. He had been slated to be the chef at Pastore, uh, Underbelly Hospitality's Italian restaurant. You have Amber, your culinary director, who, who I'm not as familiar with personally. And then, you know, Austin's kind of hanging out like waiting to open Marigold Club. So, so he's sort of around, right? The former exec chef to Tony. So what is the collaboration like? And like, how much of it is you and how much of it is, is the other chefs? And like, how does it, how does it all kind of come together? I mean, you know, I think it, it's like Amber, right. Amber and I sit down, you know, the, 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 the ideal situation is Amber and I sit down, start our research guide for the team. Right. And, and we share that from the beginning uh, as it, as it's starting to get built uh, and, you know, obviously Chris Davis is, this is his first, this is the next season is going to be his first season with, with us for a new menu. Um, so we really include the, the rest of the culinary team in, in the research, the development of it. We lay out different ideas. We lay out must haves, uh, ingredient, you know, like obviously like we honed into olive oil right away for Greece, which you could do that for any of the other cultures and, and menus that we've done. Uh, but we, we said, okay, let's, Let's focus in on olive oil. You know, these are the different other components that we really want to see. Um, and and then it goes from there. You know, it really is a, I think at the end of the day, once you are through and things end up on the menu, it, it really is hard to say like, oh, this is this person. And we really avoid that. We really truly avoid to say like, oh, this is, this was Amber's dish. This was Felipe's dish. This was Austin's, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, because it really, truly should be about the collaboration. And and it really is sitting around, like, talking through things, talking through ideas, 
And then one person might take the lead in the kitchen, R&Ding something. But then, you know, you turn around and, you know, Amber and I are having a conversation about this and turns into, you know, a, a open, you know, a, a closed, uh, you know, pastry. Uh, and we're talking to Sean about pastry and about, you know, different techniques or whatever, you know, it ends up as a tart uh, because of Austin's time at core. You know, like you really see a lot of these things uh, um, evolve in a way where you can't quite differentiate what's what, but it really, with great communication, tasting and trusting each other, come up with a, yeah, it with becomes, a final thing. It's truly a round table. Um, I, I would say that Felipe is similar to like the maestro of an orchestra. Like you could probably play every instrument, but <laughs> there's specific instruments that you're known for, but you kind of help conduct what the overall program is, and then we make sure that here's a Dave Grohl of the March Kitchen. You, you, oh my god, you can play, you can <laughs> play every instrument in the band, but but really, he's the drummer. You, I mean, like, I mean, that, <laughs> that is Dave, Dave Grohl's truly greatest skill is as a drummer. So, I, that, that's yeah. my, he's a drummer, yeah. he's a drummer first. Um, that's incredible, and yeah. so, I mean, I like, I really think of it that way because these guys, but he he composes it right in a way where like he could be a great drummer, but there's another great drummer out there. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't that person have that dish and really kind of take the lead on it? And then all the other great talents can kind of like help finesse it, which is hard, man. You've got to really yeah. let the ego go. Like yeah. that is super difficult. Yeah. And it, you know, it doesn't always work. <laughs> Trust oh, we, we fight uh, all the time. You know, it doesn't he's always like, work. He's always like, no, it's very important. You know? I'm like, I don't, I don't think it's Yeah, and you're not, you know, and you have to kind of trust each other and understand and and know when, you know, we're able to say, like, you know, listen, this is truly important to me and this is why. Yes. Um, and then say, okay, great, you know, or or be able to say, oh, okay, I see it. You know, when, mm-hmm. when, when you know, the wine team is like, hey, this dish is too heavy on you know, the acid or this, you know, the spice is too much for where it's at on the menu uh, or it needs more fat. It needs more richness. You know, it, we're, we're always in communication about that. And and it does influence what the, the final dish is. That's really special. It's hard to find um, a chef to collaborate with that really feels in tune with wine and understands that that can really enhance the platform of a menu. And Felipe and the team really does because of like, can we change the, you know, there's so many logistics that go behind it because I will ask like, can we change, you know, the order of the dishes because this progression seems better. But, you know, I also have to really understand that this is how the prep works. This is what the timing of plating is. Does this make sense? Or is this going to really like make the operations of the kitchen fall apart if we change the order of the dishes? You know, so do we change the spice level or what have you? And being able to talk through that is really, really important. Yeah. Other other than just being like, I think this is important because this is all I see. Yeah. You have to have the conversation of being like, well, this is this is where the domino effect starts happening. And is that worth changing the course? Well, and of course, Felipe has a level of wine knowledge that most chefs don't have. I mean, I correct. I, I remember you as my bartender at Camerata, right? Like uh, yeah. you know. Yeah. He could do do all the pairings if he wanted. (laughs) One one menu will do that. (laughs) Yeah. I'll do the menu. Yeah, I'm kidding. Well, (laughs) and and, let me just ask you about, because, I mean, you you are a master sommelier, uh, but you're also the CEO of Goodnight Hospitality, and and Mark's a wine director, and you're, you know, the the Psalms at March are all all very qualified. So, like, 
how hands-on are you when it comes to like picking the pairings and tasting through and being like, it should be this wine and not that wine. We, we same, so same discourse, we do it together. You know, I definitely it's, you know, once we decide where we're going, we obviously, it's a little bit more, I don't want to say easy. That's so hard. We're not creating anything. We're looking at what's available and in the, in the state of Texas and then in the world. So a lot of it is logistics too. So, you know, it's like, do we ask an importer or a winery to start moving something from Europe into the United States of America if it's not? And that's like a six month process these days. So that's kind of where, where things lie in terms of how I can help is knowing what other wineries may be out there, but the team is so qualified. Mark and our wine director at uh, March, Jilly, they'll really just look at what's already available. They'll bring the wines in. Um, in terms of what the chefs are already working on, based on the information that they get from the chefs, they'll start, um, you know, just kind of like theorizing what would work. And then we immediately start tasting wines to dishes, wines to dishes. And we'll kick out things that are just like, no, if for, we'll take Spanakopita. Like we're like, we know that we were going to do mushrooms with it for seasonality and how great we knew that there was going to be a combination of pickled versus like sauteed or fresh or whatever that we were going to do. And what the base is, like you already kind of know what you're expecting in Spanakopita. So we know what we're going to start working with, which was going to be like textured whites, light reds. So we weren't going to do something too light and we weren't going to do too heavy. And we likely knew that that wasn't going to be at the end of the menu. Jilly and Mark open it and it is a round table thing. Like the chefs taste it. We obviously, in terms of like people with the the wine, like deep wine knowledge are going to make the final decision, but it's also important for the chefs to taste it. So they really understand what we're doing as well. So it's, it becomes round table and we have the ability to change it. So that's not, we're not like wine is finite. And most of the time we take an entire allocation of something and we're like, well, we got this for two cases. So we have all these other great things to yeah. taste with it. So it's not just one final wine that's going to be all for that dish. Yeah. Um, we get to choose a few of them and in different levels of price too. So that's cool. Well, and, and June, I mean, kind of what is your what is your day to day like? Because, you know, I, I saw you kind of bop through the the March dining room kind of towards the end of service. But I, I assume you had been at you'd probably been at Rosie. You'd probably been at Montrose Cheese and Wine. But but like what, like, yes, you have a lot. of I mean, you have a lot of you have a lot of chess pieces to kind of keep keep track of. So so I, I mean, just tell me a little bit about your day. Like, what do you do as CEO? What do I do? <laughs> What do you not? A little bit of everything. Uh, I wake up and I immediately look at my inbox and then I, my day is triaging essentially. So I rely on my calendar uh, for the rest of my life, essentially. So if it doesn't sync, I'm really screwed for that day, which has happened before. Um, We have a calendar for each location and then we have an overall general calendar for the company and then I have my personal calendars so I look at that and I triage for the day we have specific meetings each day we have specific events that are going on on the calendar per location for the month um so I deal with all of that to make sure that everything is like working well together um major hires uh HR, accounting you know right now it's tax season so I have a lot of financials that I'm dealing with um Critical path with uh, Marigold Club, um, 
Yeah. So my day is kind of like, I go through, I'm like, I'm around because you've got to be around to make it for people to find out what's going on. Um, so I kind of like circle the complex, yeah. like a panther. <laughs> and then like a address, yeah, basically address what needs to be addressed right away and then say, great job for the things that are going smoothly. Um, and then we're very lucky that we have like a little tiny office across the street where we are now. So I'm here. I basically have a lamp that's like lamp is on. I'm available. Lamp is off. I went home for the night. <laughs> and uh yeah. And then and then that's it. If I but there are days where I'm like, there are days where I'm on the line. Like I love expediting because I feel like I can see everything from that area. If if someone needs a day off or whatever, I'm I'm around. I love my favorite posts are the host stand and the expo line. Felipe knows that. So some so because I feel like those are great vantage points for specific restaurants to really know exactly what's happening. Uh, and then can we just talk about Marigold Club just for a little bit? I I of mean I, I know I know it's still kind of coming soon and and. I fully intend to have Austin on at some point, yes, you know, sure. yes. The opening. Yes, yes, yes. but of, of all of the things you could have done with the good night, Charlie space, like how did you come to kind of a British influence continental restaurant? Collaboration. Yeah. I mean, it really is like, you know, there's a lot of collaboration with, you know, Pete and Bailey in, in, in what concept is next, what they're excited about. Uh, you know, and then working with someone like Austin, you know, and, and, and where he wants to take that, um, you know, it's been amazing to be able to work with him in March in this time, um, you know, and he's been, he's been at Rosie, he's been at March learning what we're doing, uh, how we're doing things and also contributing and, and enriching everything we're doing and all the programs. So it really is like getting excited about what each of us want to contribute to, to a, to a concept. And, you know, there's still lots of things to figure out and, and construction to finish and all that. Um, you know, but it really is that conversation and, and talent, you know, Austin's in, an incredibly talented chef and, and, and beyond that an operator, uh, which is, which is, I think was crucial for us mm -hmm. in, 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 in finding a partner for that and, and finding that next, the next uh, project, you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, our like dream, like, we don't have a huge, uh, I guess, plan in terms of what the next things are going to be. We are always open and our dream is really to collaborate with yeah. people. So, you know, I, yeah, Felipe has ideas of what he wants to do next. I want to just open places that people are excited about, but also teach people how to open restaurants um, and be successful at them uh, about what they want. Like I don't cook. So it's always like, what do you want to do? What are you excited about? And so this was something that Pete Bailey were excited about. Austin was excited about um, what he was going to be next in his life and what the next steps were. And it sounded really amazing. I love everything. Like I don't want to live my life being like, I'm an Italian chef. No, but yeah, no, I'm, buddy. <laughs> but I don't either, and that's you know, I've done that well, very but, much. But so, but so, let me just ask, just specifically, like, did you identify Austin as someone you wanted to work with, and go, what do you want to do, or did you go, we want to do a continental restaurant, Austin? Do you want to be part of that? I think it was both. That's a very special case. Yeah, you already knew him, right? Yeah. Like, I think that that's it. Wasn't like um, we are, and you definitely. It, there was a there was a core idea, right? And 
but knowing that we wanted to work with Austin, you know, we had talked about in the past, we had talked, you know, in the past, um, you know, for, for different projects or whatnot. And then it really was, it, it really was like, okay, there's this next, we have this building, we're going to do something with it. Let's have a conversation and see where it goes. Um, and, and it really started from there. It really did start from, from wanting to work with Austin, uh, in, in the con, the core concept. Yeah. And I, and, and Pete and Bailey also being like, we do like, it started with honestly, like Pete and Bailey being like, I think that we should just change this into a restaurant. This is what we do well. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what our team does really well. Like, this yeah, like a a bar, a bar with live music was a fun idea and I, and I'm glad I got to experience it, but it, it doesn't not coherent with everything else you're doing exactly and 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 uh, and that frightens me quite frankly like live music i'm mm -mm, like i'm yeah, not hip enough <laughs> i'm not cool enough and believe me <laughs> definitely not cool enough here you're trying to book andrea bocelli for good night good night charlie so no <laughs> we are not hip enough to do that yeah. um and it, yeah and it was definitely something that was a different part of good night hospitality that worked in the past. And yeah. then with, especially with COVID and us learning how to work with each other as a partnership before, it was a really great experience. This yeah. was actually, cause I started here with the company when the current building was already a shell, like the, yeah, the concepts sense. were already set. So this experience of doing a concept together is brand new to me and yeah. it's been really awesome. Yeah, and and you know, obviously looking at Austin's strengths and and where he's coming from and his flexibility and, and depth of of skills. Uh, you know, yeah, Tony's you know was you know lots of Italian food, and but you know it really was so much more than that. You know, and when with mm -hmm. I still remember like having the conversation with him, and it's like, yeah, well, yeah, we'll pretty much make anything anyone asks. You know, if they come in and they they want something off, you know off topic like well you know we'll make it. that takes that takes a special person that, that takes a special chef with with, with a, a very special disposition and, and skill set and and you know he's proving it in you know like you know you put him at rosie and he thrives you put him up at mars and he thrives and you know and and has been a tremendous uh uh you know uh support for 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 me and for the rest of the team and and for Amber, the culinary director, you know, we really have developed, I think, a, a special uh, working relationship that I'm super, super excited for at Marigold, you know. Um, and even still, like, I mean, I'll tell you, like, his spending time in, in, in London and staging in London has 100% influence what, you know, what Marigold will be, which, you know, yes, looking at, oh, when he was like, where am I? I want to go stage. Where am I going to go? Like, it definitely... Um, you know, was a thought with continental cuisine and trying to explore that. Yeah, we have like London made sense. Just already decided it was yeah. going to be continental cuisine based yeah. on like London. Uh, no, sorry, based on Austin's experience yeah. and strength, and then we just kind of died, dove into it. Yeah, and, and and London, you know, being uh, you know, I spent time cooking in Europe and cooks, Italian cooks, Spanish cooks, French cooks, they all go to London and do two years and get their Let's kick because it is a hard city. Uh in you know, restaurant scene there is is extremely uh competitive. Cutthroat. Yeah. And um and it really changed like hundred hours yeah, a week. Uh, I think you know, and he was and, and you know, you see a lot of, of, of high and it's like Tokyo. You know, you have amazing, you know, Italian and 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 French restaurants in Tokyo. 
Uh, it's this cosmopolitan city um, where I think, you know, the idea of continental cuisine is that. So. And then just to kind of wrap this up, I, I want to get a little bit philosophical with y'all because, you know, there is kind of this national and even global conversation about fine dining. Everybody saw the bear. Everybody saw the menu. Noma's closing. And Rene Redzepi kind of kind of said, look, I can't I can't do what I want to do if I have to I said, I, at least the way it was kind of spun in the New York Times. Right. I can't do what I want to do if I have to pay everybody. And and sure. Felipe, I mean, you stodged across Europe. I think you you have and you gained a lot. You know, I I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but my my sense is that you gained a lot from those experiences. So 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 let me just kind of pitch it to you kind of in, in a broad sense, like. Like, how do you kind of see fine dining in a modern age where it, it has kind of come in for, for criticism? Well, I, I will start with this. We, so we both come from fine dining and yeah, you work. I mean, we just talked to Austin about him working 100 hours a week when he was in London to get as much experience as possible. So knowing what that life is like is exactly what we don't want for our team. And we are really working towards and feel like we've created a system where you don't have to work 100 hours a week and still be able to provide a really great fine dining experience. Because there is, there is a path where you can have a life and still provide that and feel great about what you're what you're giving to the hospitality industry at the highest level without a, I mean, all this being said, like we are privileged enough to like Felipe and Austin have been privileged enough to work and still be able to like live their lives and work and stage in Europe without making any money. That is not the expectation for what we yeah. want to do with our company ever. Yeah. I, and you know, I think they're 100%. If you, you can gain a lot from doing a stage, an internship, whatever it may be. Um, I, I, I disagree that that should go away and we should ban it. Uh, I think restaurants need to be more attentive as to how they operate. Um, they have to, you know, there has to be an agreement as to how those things are going to happen. I saw it. I mean, I mean, the stage, the stage I did at Blue Hill was incredible. And they had they had a, a system that was thoughtful, that was correctly laid out. Uh, but that's not the way it was the whole time, like forever, you know, like, I mean, there's many, many stories before my time at Blue Hill. For I was only there for, for six weeks of, of, you know, very difficult you know, stages and very difficult work environment. So they've definitely have changed. And Noma, like Noma is closing. Noma is changing what they're doing uh, and, and really being like what, what Rezepi wants to do is like all this crazy having pushing and, and exploring different things. Uh, and that's what he's pivoting to. Like, you know, so for us is where you want to provide a great, fulfilling experience for both guests and our staff but you know yeah we're not like you know serving you know little ants and taking the legs off by hand and everything yeah, that takes a certain different level of labor and time and focus that you yeah you can only do with unpaid labor um it's almost that the, the renee redzepi model is actually becoming less accessible 
rather than the platform of being like fine dining is inaccessible yep. so we have to and do you, away with it they're actually taking it to a different strata yeah. where it's so inaccessible that they're saying that it can't be done but it's still going to be done in a different way and, and you know and, and I, I think like you know you will continue to see, as in the food world we'll continue to see the influences that you know the noma lab team will 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 have in the food world and that's really what they want they that's what they've have been doing for a while, you know, the same thing, you know, you know, they, they, their ethos was, and I'll tell you a little bit of like why March started the way it did. And it was, I looked at some of the best restaurants in the world and I will say, and June's not going to like me saying this, we're not like, we want to be an incredible restaurant with, you know, accolades and all that for our team to make sure that our team uh, is excited to work where they were, so they have great income, everything, everything that comes along with that. It's not about like my name being out there and like, you know, all this stuff, but it really was, okay, look at the best restaurants in the world. Okay, you, you know, Noma, 11 Madison, El Bulli, um, you know, or Cedar de Can Roca, you know, Australia Francescana, what are they doing? And my and the answer for myself, you know, I asked myself that I said they have self-imposed limits. Whether it was Ferran Adria saying, I and, and Albert Adria saying, I want to, we want to just create literally things that have never been done before we want to do. That was their limit. If it had been done before, they didn't want to do it. You know, uh in my view, you know, uh Rene Rezepi and the team saying. We want to explore and really create a cuisine that doesn't, it's not really there uh, and, and, and find these incredible ingredients in this different cuisine. And they did it. You know, Massimo Tura saying, I want to respect my roots and the, the culture and the history and all this, but push the boundaries uh, in a local way and have art be a muse. You know, all this stuff, you know, 11 Madison saying our limits are, you know, unreasonable hospitality, right? Like that comes, you know, from Will Gadara. Um, and, and I said to myself, okay, our limit is going to be, and our self-imposed limit is going to be staying within the Mediterranean, focusing in the Mediterranean and trying to go deep rather than wide, um, and doing it in a way that gives Houston, because we chose to do the project, uh, a, a different perspective in what food and dining can be and how we can interpret it and how the experience can come together. Uh, and do it while cheering our team well and respecting our team. You know, we have a team of five cooks, five line cooks. They work four days a week. They work 11 hour shifts. That's a long day. That's a really long day. But you know, it's a lot better than working six days a week for 12 hours and getting paid for eight, you know? Uh, so yeah. it's still hard. We never do that. Yeah. It's still really hard, you know? Uh, but And there are days where they work five. You know, like there's weeks not, they work five. Yeah. And well, they get paid for every hour. And then, mm -hmm. you know, that it becomes difficult uh financially but you know it's always making sure that we you know have the open line of communication yeah. with the team how's it going how you doing you know the only um, thing i don't like about what he just said is limited no limits yeah. limits in i a don't way. like yeah, limits. No, it's not, it's not, well no i mean i think yeah. it's limits because it forces you to to go deeper yeah I to, to search deeper rather than like you know um kind of be a flag in the wind well, and, and there's, there is, I mean, there is a financial limit, right? Like it's got to yep. work in the context of a $245 menu. Cause, cause I'm sure that like, there's another version of this restaurant where it's a $500 menu and the ingredients are even crazier and rarer yeah. and more over the top. But sure. I don't, I don't know that anyone, 
I, I don't know that you can find 50 people in Houston four nights a week that want to do that. That's correct. Yeah. That is so correct. It, it's always, you know, at the end of the day, we want to, we, it, this is a long-term project. We wanted to keep growing. We wanted to keep evolving. Uh, and it has to make sense with where we're at, where the city's at, uh, and it'll continue to change and evolve as, as we, as we learn and we get better at doing all of it. Um, so also- I don't think, you know, I do, I do, I do want to say like, I don't think, you know, some of these best restaurants in the world, like there, it's a different, it's a different world. You know, I think just like for, in my opinion, you know, whether it's awards or recognitions or whatever, you know, more casual dining like Rosie and more in a fine dining, you know, concept like Mars, they're different restaurants. And that's why we have two of them in the same building. That's correct. You know, yes. like they're different restaurants. So yes. I think we have to see them differently. And so March is not in the same league as 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 Noma or Osiria Francescana 100%. or, you know, name whatever restaurant, you know. Um, if someone makes that parallel, like we actually want to talk to them more because we want to know what they took from, because sometimes we get that. Sometimes we'll get like, this is as great as, the French Laundry. And um, we want to actually talk to them more because we want to know what they took from the French Laundry that makes that parallel for yeah. them. Because we know that we don't have that history, those finances or, you know, any of that. Like we're a completely, we're a completely different set and yeah. we are not in that league in any way. It's an honor to be thought of in that way by somebody. But then I want to know like what makes that so in your mind, because then that is the thing that is the most successful from that experience yeah. that we have. Right. But I mean, you know, in a more concrete way, you have to be a compelling choice for Blue Dorn and Theodore Rex and Pappas Brothers Steakhouse and Uchi. I mean, like, yeah, on a, on a practical day to day basis like that. That's Absolutely. You know, and that changes the equation for 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 us as well. Right. Like how what is the perspective of the guest? And, and you know, we are very lucky every time someone chooses to come celebrate or dine with us every day. You know, and we see that we recognize that. Um so, so yeah, it's, it's different. Again, we're not, it's not, oh, should I go to, you know, uh, 11 Madison today or March? No, you're in Houston. You're here. You're a diner here in Houston. But we have someone from out of town and they, they, or someone that lives here and they're like, I go on vacation all the time and, and I choose where we're going to go based on going to a Michelin star restaurant. Like, and they're like, it's awesome that we have that here. I mean, that, that feels great. But guess what? That guest is still going and traveling to New York and going to restaurants or London or Tokyo or whatever. Uh, and that's awesome. That's how they're doing that. And they're also dining with us. Um, and that's why, you know, people often ask, why Houston? Well, because we have great diners. We have incredible diners with an incredible palate that travel a lot, that understand food well and, and at all levels, you know, from a taco truck to March. And and you have, you know, great patrons in uh, Peter and Bailey McCarthy who wanted to bring a project like this to the city right. they live in and, and support you. I mean, that's, that's part of it too. Absolutely. A huge part of it. All right. I, I have one last thing and then I, we've gone, we've gone way long, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's just, it's just in my notes says, uh, say something nice about Sean Gall because he's nominated for Aww. pastry chef of the year and the taste Baker awards. And, and I know that, you know, there's the possibility yes. that his, his time with Goodnight hospitality, maybe, maybe drawing to a close. So, while he's still working with you, say say something nice about Sean Gall. Sean is incredibly God, so many. I mean, there's so many things. Like it really, like, I don't think we would be where we're at if it wasn't for for Sean being part of the team. It really has uh 
has has pushed everyone to to um, create more and to be attentive to everything we're doing. His his attention to detail is incredible. Um, you know, we are, we are definitely very very lucky to to you know that June had a relationship with him that he was willing to come to Houston and work with us. Um, you know, I, I relied on him a ton uh, in this past past years of the restaurants being open, uh, and we are, are you know there is continued growth for him and we're super excited for yeah for for him and what what might be next um but you know he's 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 still with us he's working very hard every day uh you know always staying staying very busy um and and and, and you know we're, we're we're so proud of him we really are yeah i feel i mean so i, I met sean when he was working with my best friend at Robichon, original Robichon in New York. They had opened, um, I think it was like 2007 or something like that, um, in the Four Seasons, and he was a line cook. And so I've known and seen him throughout that time. He's like dear friends with industry dear friends of mine, and I actually convinced him to move to Texas. Never thought that was going to happen. <laughs> so this is the second time we've worked together. Um, I have never seen so much growth. And somebody in the past four years, almost five years that we've been working together and he's done the work, not just at our place of business, but within himself. And it's been awesome to see. And I'm one of the, I think I say this a lot. Sometimes it's really hard to visualize and then vocalize what the end of your chapter is or what the end of your story is, especially in work. And Sean has been able to do that with us. And this is kind of a wonderful scenario where, you know, we know what his dreams are and we want to help him through that. And we are privileged to be able to do that. And it's been great that he's been super honest and forthcoming and honestly honest with us and the growth that he's had to had to pursue while we've been working together. And man, like what a guy, like we're just, you know, super honest with his, with his weaknesses, super honest with his strengths. And in the same realm, like we've, we have with him too. And we've had a lot of long talks, hard talks, great talks, good experiences. And this is the dream to see somebody be like, this is my next chapter. I'm going to do my thing. Thank you. What do you need from me? Let's do this together. Yeah. So you got, you got a chapter. You have to have him on the show. No, no, I, I'd like, and just for the sake of it, right, like I've had some kind of private conversations with Sean about kind of thinking about what might be next for him in his career. Haven't really brought that on the show yet or in any articles in Culture Map, but but I really do hope once he finalizes everything to be able to report that and and tell a little more about what he's what he's up to because I, I just think the guy's just crazy talented and, and I... Great, great. And I'm just... Honestly, I'm just excited that he thinks his future is in Houston because it's because it's not Absolutely. it's not at all obvious that it, it necessarily would have been. I feel like his wife would have killed him if he didn't say that. Well, I and and right, thank <laughs> thank God, thank God that the wife is a doctor and has a great job in thank Houston. Thank God like, for Alex. That makes that makes that makes all the difference. All right, well, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. <laughs> five easy questions, five short answers, and and you know, since I I came up with all new questions for. Justin Turner, who had been on the show a few times, I have I have the same all new questions for you guys. And so, Felipe, let me let me start with you. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Felipe Riccio, what is your favorite pasta shape? 
Oh, uh, ravioli. June, how about you? Farfalle. <laughs> Uh, June, what is the last TV show you binged? Ooh, um, what is the last TV show I binged? Probably Real Housewives of Miami. (laughs) (laughs) Felipe, how about you? I just watched uh, Succession. Oh, so good. Best show on TV. Best show on TV. All right, Felipe, what is the first album you ever bought? Oh, my goodness. Uh... With your own money? I don't think I, I don't know uh, that you that you chose right like the, I mean if your parents bought it for you that's okay yeah, but no, you're like no. I want yeah, I um, want that I don't know I think it must have been I really don't know I think it was uh, a Goo Goo Dolls album way back in the day on iTunes June June what do you think do you do you remember I think yeah. it was Violator by Depeche Mode oh my god oh that's a great that's a, that's a, that's a that's a much cooler answer than my I don't answer. think I've ever right. an entire album. Uh, Goo Goo Dolls. This is why we are not reopening Good Night Trials. I don't do that music. Uh, June, who is a celebrity you'd like to meet? Ooh, Beyonce, of course. Felipe, uh, so- how about, how oh about you? Uh, like all time? Yeah. Oh this is, these are hard questions. What about uh, alive? Let's make it plausible. Alive. Alive. Celebrity alive. Who, who do you want to book a reservation for March? I mean, at the Beyonce at the restaurant, one hundred percent. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yes. They also really love burgers. Yeah, that's an easy answer. They love burgers. Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, June, when you're having a drink, what is your go-to cocktail? Uh, mezcal and soda. Felipe, how about you? Gin and tonic. I'm feeling very basic. Vodka See, ask me questions like that. <laughs> music. Yeah. Uh, all right. Give me the website for March, Goodnight Hospitality, whatever whatever you want to plug on our way out the door. <laughs> Marchrestaurant.com. Very easy. All right. June, Felipe, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much. Thanks Thank for you so me. much, Eric. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.